Welcome to Surviving the Modern World Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood. Now, when we first get started on this, this is my very first podcast, so it's going to suck flat out. My editing is terrible. I'm just barely using any of this software. Um, this is my very, very first attempt. Um, the software that I went ahead and used is Audacity. Um, it's a free podcasting software, so I just figured I'd give them a plug out there. And with anything free, you're not going to be getting the support, the helps, the bug fixes, um, and really not very much uh, in the in the aid of like tutorial helps and stuff. So I'm figuring this software out as we go. Um, I've actually got some of my equipment that's still on order, um, like a power booster for the mic itself. Um, so this mic is kind of running on like uh, bare minimum power. So it's not going to sound near as good as it will down the road. So as soon as it comes in, I'm going to definitely start upgrading a few things. Also, as my editing gets a little bit better, um, you'll just be getting better shows as we go. So you'll have at least, you know, that promise that it'll get a little bit better. Uh, not saying it's the greatest, but hey, it's a free podcast and um, I'll be giving you guys information on myself. So you could contact with any ideas for future shows, uh, maybe subject matter, and um, or if I've you know done anything in the in the show that's wrong, said any wrong information. Hey, I'll I'll be uh, the first one to say, hey, I was wrong. Here's the uh, corrected information from show number, you know, whatever it was, and we'll you know I'll make sure that we you know add corrections in there as we go. So um, just hope that you listen and hope that you enjoy it. Um, all right. So a little bit about myself, just, uh, like I said, I was born 1980. Um, I have two younger brothers, so I'm the oldest of three boys. We pretty much destroyed the holy hell out of our house growing up. We broke everything in that house that could be broken. Um, we beat the crap out of each other. My father was a hardworking coal miner and, um, my mother was a stay at home mother until I was about 12. And then she became a secretary um, at an insurance place and then later became an agent there. And she's still currently a insurance agent there. Um, so my two younger brothers, um, of course we always had the wrestling matches, ripping the couch cushions off, beating each other up, uh, you know, gagging each other with dirty socks, you know, stuff like that. Just, just typical boy stuff growing up. Um, all right. So we, we grew up outside. I mean, we had a river, uh, my dad worked graveyards for pretty much my entire life. So whenever dad was in the house sleeping, you just didn't go in the house. You know, I mean, if you woke him up, you you felt the wrath of waking somebody up in the middle of the night. So when we got home from school, we, we would go out and we would play out in the, you know, out in the weeds, we called it, uh, just out by the river. We, we uh, built forts, huts, uh, whatever you want to call them. You know, we'd have... Uh, pellet guns, BB guns. We'd be out shooting birds, uh, shooting cans, shooting just about anything that you could imagine. Um, and so, it, you know, it was a really good childhood growing up. Uh, I grew up in a really small town too. And, uh, you know, then I got into Boy Scouts and uh, I ended up staying with that until I got my Eagle. Um, sometimes I didn't want to stick with it. Sometimes I did. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, the things that I learned um, really kind of helped sculpt who I am today, I think. So, um, then also my, my father, he, on the side, he was a karate teacher. So he instructed karate, uh, Wadaroo style for well, over 30 years. And my brothers and I, we took it from him and, you know, that also kind of helped mold a little bit of who we are. But, uh, later as I got older, you know, I, I kind of hated living in the little town. I thought, oh, I just want to live in a bigger city, get out of this little town, just nothing to do. So I, I ended up moving up North into Salt Lake um, city, Utah there. And, and, uh, I had a couple of really good buddies that were living up there already and they, uh, let me move in and, uh, pay part of the, part of the rent. So while we're up there living, um, everybody kind of started after, you know, I lived up there for three years with these guys and, uh, it was, it was great. And anyway, they, they ended up, you know, two guys were really, really smart, really into electronics, um, doing all the electrical engineering classes they could. So they ended up going off and doing, you know, further their schooling at different colleges and stuff. And uh, one roommate was getting married. Um, the other one, you know, he was kind of, 
I don't know, just kind of wanting to do that. Well, I always kind of wanted to do the military thing. Um, my father was in the army and a lot of our family was prior military. Um, his uncle was in the army and the Navy. Um, just, you know, quite a few, my other uncle, uh, he was in the army and was awarded a medal of valor. Um, so it was, it was kind of one of those things where I just growing up in my head, I always knew I wanted to do military. And so I went into the recruiting office and, uh, up there in West Valley, Utah. And I walked in and the very first recruiting office was the air force. And, uh, so if you ever visit the, the recruiting office up there behind the Valley Fair mall, you'll see what I'm talking about. So they're, they're offices are all on one little strip. And so the very first office building was the uh, Air Force. And I walked in and thought, hey, you know what? Um, you know, typical thinking, everybody wants to be a pilot. I, I knew I wouldn't be a pilot. My eyes are terrible. I have actually pretty crappy eyes. So I thought, you know what? Pilot's probably out, but let's see what they have to offer. You know, I'm going to I'm going to very uh, carefully weigh my decision here on, on what branch I join, you know. And so also to kind of back up just a little bit, um, right before I went to join, um, it was the 1911. So, I mean, you know, it was or 9-11, my bad. Sorry, I'm thinking about the gun. But the uh, the 9-11 uh, catastrophe happened there, the terror attack. And, uh, and I was up in Salt Lake when that went down and I thought, wow, this is pretty crazy. We're going to be going to war. And, you know, I've been wanting to do the military thing anyway. Hey, who knows? May get a, a chance to kill a scumbag bad guy. You never know. So I went down on my, uh, my lunch break and uh, I was actually a repair technician up there. Um, I've always been fairly mechanically inclined. My, my father was, uh, that's what he was in the coal mine. He was a diesel mechanic. So he was on maintenance. And uh, so growing up, we always fixed all of our own cars. Um, doesn't matter what happened. If the engine blew, we changed out an engine. If, you know, it, you know, your brakes messed up, you change your brakes, you know, uh, you know, blow the head gasket. Hey, we were changing that out. So it, it was pretty good. So I, I, I grew up, um, it really scoped me because whenever I went in and, and got a repair technician job, um, first thing they just asked me is, do you work on all your own car? And I said, yeah, I, I do. I grew up doing that. And they said, cool, you're hired. I thought, well, I don't really know anything about electronics and all these little, you know, circuit boards and stuff. And they said, oh, that's, that stuff's easy. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and train you on that. So they, they did. And so that's what I was working at it was a place called Mountain Land Business Systems and uh, loved it. Great place. Um, great people. So anyway, so I was, I was up there and I, I was on my lunch break and I thought, well, you know what? I better, I, I'm pretty close to this recruiting station. I better stop in there and check them out. So first one was the Air Force building. And I walked inside and, uh, well, your typical Air Force guys. I mean, there was, uh, you know, and hey, no offense to my little brother. He's in the, uh, he's in the Air Force now too. And, and, uh, he, he did avionics. Um, so he would repair like, uh, the guidance systems and stuff like that on, uh, jets, fighter jets. And, uh, later on he ended up saying, Hey, it's just not dangerous enough for me. What the heck? So he went, uh, EOD. And right now he is currently an EOD instructor. Um, so anyway, so not to bag on Air Force, I have a, a you know a love for them as well. But I, I walked in and there was these just computer geeks. I mean, just total nerds, and they were sitting there playing some game on the computer. And I stood there for over a good five minutes. You know, they didn't even ask me how's it going. Can I help you? Are you interested? I sat there and watched these two dorks pretty much just play on this computer, and I thought well, the hell with this. I don't have time to sit around here and wait. And I don't really want to talk to either one of these dipshits anyways. So I turned around and I walked out. Well, the very next, uh, um, little office there kind of cubicle thing was, uh, it was the Navy. And, uh, I walked in and, and, you know, and I've actually got quite a few friends that are, uh, prior Navy and stuff. And so not to bag on them, but they, they can probably vouch for, for what I'm going to explain next. I walked in and there was two of the fattest slobs I've ever seen. And I thought, wow, I mean, this is our military. The first one I walked into was a bunch of little nerds that looked like if they had to do 20 push-ups, it would kill them. And the second one, it looks like if they did 20 push-ups, it would kill them too. But it'd probably take them several years to accomplish 20 push-ups. But so I looked in there and I thought, holy crap, look at these two just fat asses, you know, like this is disgusting. And 
and uh, they actually approached me and and said, uh, "Hey, how are you doing? You know, can we can we help you? Is there anything you'd like to learn about?" And I just I just said, "No, I'm good, man." And I turned around and walked out. And and uh, you know, since my father was in the army and uncle was in the army and uh, great uncle, I thought, you know what, maybe the army's for me. And it was actually the very last um, office walking down the thing. And so as I'm walking, the third office was the, the Marine Corps recruiters. And uh, whenever I ended up walking in, um, they, they came out and they, they said, hey, come on in here. And I walked in. And if you've, if you've ever seen uh, Avatar, where the old guy with the gray hair is like lifting weights, that's pretty much what I walked into. I, I see this guy. He's got a really clean cut, high and tight haircut. He's hanging from a pull-up bar doing pull-ups. And uh, I thought, holy crap, that guy's like old enough to be a grandpa and he's up there doing pull-ups. I mean, he's, he's buff. Holy crap. And so the recruiter that approached me, he was a shorter Hispanic guy. And he says, uh, his name was Sergeant Guillen. And uh, he takes one look at me, he looks me up and down and he goes, hey man, this isn't uh, no sit-down office job. And, uh, you know, for my, my job, I had to wear a shirt and tie and uh, slacks. And so I was, you know, looked like I was going to church or some crap. And, and this guy, he looks at me and he's, you know, he knew what he was doing. You know, he was just wanted to piss me off and see see what I had inside me, I guess. And so, you know, he looks me up and down and tells me that. Says, hey, this isn't for, for everybody. This is no office job. And I told him, I says, well, you know, I, I really want to join and kind of see what you guys have to offer. And he says, well. Why don't you go down the hall and try the army then? And I go, well, maybe I will. And uh, he says, yeah, I don't think you have it anyway. And I, right then I, I knew, you know, hey, this guy's goading me in. But at the same time, it really did kind of hit home like, hey, I, I do have what it takes. And so I went in there and I told him, I says, you know what? He, he was a shorter guy, kind of stocky guy. And I says, you know what? I think I could take you, buddy. And uh, he, he says, oh, really? So the next thing you know, we're pretty much on the ground wrestling around um, my ties half ripped off my buttons are ripped uh you know and then the older guy comes over and stops and says what's going on here and he says nothing nothing gunny we're just having a good time and uh i says well i want to want to know what's going on i want to know what you guys have to offer for me so he ends up pulling out some some stuff and you know shows me a few of their jobs and and, he, and you know he was really up front you know you hear a lot of these real scumbag recruiter um you know, stories where, oh, my recruiter ripped me off and he did this and that. Well, this recruiter was pretty straightforward. I mean, he said, hey, look, before I can even tell you what job you can get into, we need to test you and see if you're a dumbass or not. You know, you have to take your ASVAB. And I said, well, all right. Um, you know, I guess, yeah, we can take this ASVAB. And he says, well, we don't do it here. We do it at MEPS. It's a recruiting station. And uh, and he says, but you know what? Let, let's just kind of, let's, let's give you a few rundowns. So he had me put some some things in order of uh, importance, you know, to me. And, and uh, you know, and he says, all right, well, you scored pretty good on that. And he says, so let's have you do this and that. So we, we went through quite a bit of testing. And uh, so long story short, he ended up telling me, well, what would you do if you didn't want to join the military? If you, if you totally decide you don't want to, what would you do? And I thought, well, you know what? I, I've always liked uh, helping people. And then I thought, you know, being a cop, that would be pretty nice, you know, and I, and I told him, I says, well, I was thinking about maybe highway patrol, but at the time I wasn't old enough, you know, I was 20 years old and, uh, and I thought, you know, well, yeah, I'd probably be a cop. And he says, well, in the military, you only have to be 19 to be a cop. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of neat, but I really wanted to be a tank driver too. Cause I mean, hell, who doesn't want to drive a big ass heavy tank that blows shit up from far away? You know what I mean? Like who messes with a tank? No one. So I thought, Hey, you know, that's pretty cool. So I, I put down tank driver as my first option. Um, and he said, all right, yeah, that's, that's kind of a good job, but you know, if you, if you score good, let's get you into something that uses a little bit more brain power, you know? And I thought, all right, well, you know better than me. So, you know, he says, all right, well, cop, what else? And I said, I don't know. Um, you know, I like to shoot guns. That's great. You know, so maybe infantry. And he says, well, yeah, okay. So he puts infantry down as my third option. And so long story short, my lunch break ran out. I told him, Hey, I'll be back. He says, well, we'll see. And, uh, so I, all right. That kind of, again, goaded me. And I said, Hey, you know what? That, that you will see me back. That kind of pissed me off, you know, like thinking I'm not going to come back. I'm coming back. So I go back to work and I'm looking at some of these papers and pamphlets and stuff, you know, that he gave me. And, 
And uh, so the next day, sure enough, I came back and I said, hey, let's uh, let's uh, do this ASVAB thing, man. I mean, I really want to, you know, do this. And uh, well, the second day when I came in, the army recruiter came out and he says, uh, hey, uh, how you doing? You want to come over here and have a word with me? And and I thought, you know what, you know, maybe fair is fair. Maybe I should go over and speak with the army recruiter. And uh, Sergeant Gian come out and, and pretty much told him, get your ass back in your office. This one's mine. And the guy backed down and went right into his office. And I thought, holy shit, man. Like, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. All right. You know, this guy just backed him off. Well, let's do this, I guess. Let's join these guys. I mean, these seem like a pretty, pretty good group of guys. I mean, you got an old dude in there doing pull-ups. Uh, you got, you know, a guy wrestling a dude on the floor first day of meeting. I mean, Hey, you know, this kind of seems like right up my alley. So I told him, all right, well, I want to do this testing. And he says, well, are you sure? Because if you want to go up there and do testing, you know, don't waste my time. And I told him, yeah, you know, I don't want to waste your time. I, I, I want to join. And I, you know, I really think I want to join the Marines. And uh, so he says, all right, well, um, let's go ahead and schedule you then. So, and I can't remember the day, but it wasn't very short after. And he says, um, all right. Let's go uh, test you up. So we went up and tested. Uh, it was real early in the morning. We, it was an all-day event. But we tested up at uh, the recruiting station maps up there in Salt Lake. And that's where everybody tests. It doesn't matter if you're Army, Air Force, whatever. But So we, we all showed up. And everybody gets a physical. They test you for color blindness. They test your feet for flatness. They test your everything. I mean, they go through you very thoroughly and it's like, holy cow, I've been in here all day long and all we've been doing is testing. So, all right. So next thing you know, um, I go in and I take this computer test. It's the ASVAB deal. So I'm doing this ASVAB test and, and some of it's pretty easy. Some of it's pretty common sense, no shit type things, you know? And so I'm, I'm going through doing this testing and, and, uh, well, we get done and I think, well, hey, you know, maybe I did all right on it. I mean, it didn't seem like it was that hard of a test. So uh, I come back yeah, a few days later and uh, Sergeant Guillen calls me in and he says, hey, uh, we, we got your test scores back and you did pretty good. He says, uh, what we're going to end up doing is uh, giving you, you know, probably your first pick job that you want. And I said, well, all right, that's that sounds fine with me. And so uh, he says, well, when do you want to ship off to boot camp? And at this time, it was about like, you know, late November and, uh, of 2001. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> it's this close to Christmas. I would really like to spend one more Christmas with my family. I mean, what if I, you know, you guys are getting ready to do this whole Iraqi war thing, you know, and Afghanistan's involved and all this. And I thought, well, what if I, what if I go off and die? And so I thought, well, you know what? I'd like to see my family one time. Um, for Christmas, if it's, you know, the last time. And so I, I, I asked him, is there any way we could do a delayed program? So that he put me into a delayed entry program. And um, so I was scheduled to go in right after Christmas. And uh, so pretty much the day after Christmas, he called me up and said, hey, we got a slot for you, like right now, if you want to go. I said, all right, well, yeah, let me get my stuff and we'll get going. So he says, well, I'll call you back with a date. And so it ended up being like right after January, actually. So um, like first part of January, he calls me up and says, all right, man, let's do this. So um, can you come up here to Salt Lake and I'll make sure that, you know, you get on a plane. All right. So I I ended up giving my family, you know, a goodbye and everything. And I, you know, and I felt pretty good about it, you know, hey, if anything happened to me at least I did get to have one last good you know Christmas with them so I ended up taking off and going up to uh up to Salt Lake and uh, got on the airplane and uh yeah they don't tell you a few things uh and and we'll go into the boot camp thing later I know that'll take hours to go over the whole experiences and stuff it was pretty fun though but uh, I recommend it to any of you little punks out there if you're listening and uh any of you old guys missed out on it then you did you missed out on it but so this uh so I got out there to California and I joined the military and, uh, boot camp was, <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie full metal jacket, um, yeah, it's a lot worse than that because instead of one drill instructor, you have five, they don't tell you this. Uh, you, you don't sleep for the first like two and a half, three days that you're there. You 
don't even get a pee when you need to. You don't get a drink of water if you need one. I mean, they just don't really care. And, you know, it's all part of the breaking you down section. But anyway, so so after uh, the military, what I ended up doing, or after boot camp, is I ended up, um, you know, going into um, MCT, Marine Corps Combat Training. And so that was also in California. And I didn't do any recruiter's assistance or anything. I mean, I just wanted to get it over with. So right out of boot camp, I, I came home for 10 days, which everybody does. And then I went right back to California and I was up in the mountains digging fighting holes and packing things up and down mountains all day long. And you're there for a little bit over a month. But while we were up there, um, oh, it, it was it was pretty cool. Nobody from boot camp followed me. Everybody got their recruiter's assistance from my platoon. So, so they ended up uh, doing the, the cycle after me. In fact, as I was leaving, I saw most of them and we talked and I told them, hey, you guys are going to live up in the mountains, so get you some good entertainment, maybe like a Game Boy or something, you know, because it can get pretty boring up there at night. But so from there, um, they read out your MOS. And, you know, like I said, I, I first choice was tank driver, and he said I scored pretty good. So I go up to, uh, they start reading off your, you know, your job numbers, and uh, everything there is a number. So they end up telling me, uh, Wood, um, 5811. And I'm like, all right, 5811, what's that? Tank driver, you know? So I go over to this huge board that has all the all the jobs and stuff. And so I'm looking down at 58, 5811. Look, and I'm like, military police. And I was like, well, yeah, that was like my number two choice. But I was kind of thinking, hey, I got my first choice. But, you know, I, I, I wasn't totally disappointed, but I was kind of like, yeah, that was kind of a new thing to, you know, the whole time I thought I was going to be driving a tank. <laughs> but uh, so I thought, well, you know, I wanted to be a cop. Hey, there we go. So I ended up um, going to MP school in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And uh, there is absolutely nothing out there in Missouri. That place, they should test nukes. It is <laughs> nothing out there but hot, humid. The winter, it's nothing but ice storms and bugs everywhere. Roaches and bugs and big bugs. And nasty weather. It was just a terrible hellhole. So anyway, I'm, I'm there. And, um, so, well, you know, we do the whole MP thing. Well, right towards the end, um, Gunny Porter, who was our um, instructor, he, he ends up telling us, um, you know, Hey, you know, we've got a couple of slots open for these specialty jobs and, uh, only, you know, MPs are allowed to do. And one of them was HMX, which is guarding the president. That's the Marine you always see on TV that salutes the president. And, you know, they're supposed to salute you back unless you're Obama. But uh, anyway, they, you know, then they uh, climb up on the helicopter and then the Marines get on and guard it on Marine One and they fly away. That's HMX. And I thought, wow, that's kind of neat. And, uh, but not really for me. I don't like to just dress all fancy and stand around all day. So um, the other options that were open, it was called SRT, which is SWAT team. And that really intrigued me. I thought, hey, that sounds pretty cool. Kicking indoors and shooting stuff and, you know, shield men and all that stuff. That's pretty cool. And so I was looking at that, but man, it was really packed. Everybody was trying out for that. And I thought, oh man, that's like, you know, pretty slim pickings. Well, the other one was canine. And I thought, wow, that sounds really fun. I mean, that actually, you know, struck me the best, you know, hey, canine, you, you know, you get a dog, you, you're with a partner. I mean, how cool is that? And my grandpa, uh, he's from Moab, Utah, and he's, you know, he's been in a wheelchair my entire life. And one of the biggest things I can always remember was going up and, and seeing him. Um, he always had German shepherds, like all over there. I mean, they were always the bumpus hounds, man. They had, you know, anywhere from four to eight, depending on if they had puppies or not, German Shepherds just running around and uh, barking at everybody. Well, you know, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, German Shepherds, I, you know, I've really been fond of these dogs. So I, I put in for canine and there was quite a few of us that put in for canine as well. And so I was really kind of worried about it. I thought, oh man, so you had to write an essay, why you deserve canine, why you want canine. And so, you know, I, I stayed up and wrote this essay and and all that and made it as, you know, as good as I could, you know, we didn't have computers and printers and stuff. So I, I do that. And then you had to study and, you know, you, you go in and then you have to go on a board. It's called, 
and on a board, you're in front of maybe four to five high-ranking military. I mean, everybody's high-ranking to you when you're in E1, E2, E3. I mean, you're just the peons. But so you're standing there be, before like captains and gunnery sergeants, staff sergeants, and uh, you know, and, and it's like holy crap. So it's really, really nerve-wracking. I mean, and you know, I, I'm the kind of person that I don't really like speaking in front of large groups. And uh, I mean, even doing this podcast, uh, the very first uh, 30 recordings that I did before this one, it was just nerve-wracking. You know, it's like oh, speaking in front of a huge group, but hey, got to do it. So, you know, you go in front of this board and they ask you just ridiculous amount of questions. And some of the questions are completely ridiculous, too. They're, you know, asking you if your pocket is lower than the other one, trying to get you to, you know, break your obedience and look down at your pocket. You know, if they can get you to to screw up in any way, shape or form, it'll, you know, go against you. And uh, so whenever that was done, then we all had to do a physical fitness test, a PT test. And so it was, uh, you had to run three miles for time. Um, and in the Marines to get your hundred points, cause you know, it's a 300 is a perfect PFT, um, to do 20 up and down pull-ups, chin over the bar, all arms, all the way extended out. Um, you can't have a bent elbow. You have to do 20 pull-ups. That's five points a pull-up. Then you get a hundred crunches in under two minutes. And that's also your 100 points. And then um, the last one is you have to run three miles in 18 minutes or less um, to get a 100 points. So that's pretty tough. I mean, I've never been a strong runner. I mean, I, I can run all day long at my pace, but when you're running for speed, no way, man. So, I mean, I really, I ran as hard as I could on that day. I mean, I, I remember crossing that line and passing out on the grass just about and threw up you know it was just something I wanted to do so bad and and, uh and so I scored pretty high on on my physical fitness test and um we were getting ready to leave well whenever I selected my duty station I put um Iraq 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 and (laughs) I'll never forget because Gunny Porter came over to me and he says look stupid you can't put Iraq that's not a duty station You know, you have to put overseas or you have to put um, California. You have to put, you know, East Coast, West Coast. You you have to put somewhere that's a physical place that's a duty station because that's where you're going to be stationed. And then from there, your unit will decide when you get deployed. And I'm like, oh, well, all right. Nobody explained this crap to us. So so I end up putting overseas, um, West Coast, East Coast as first choices. And I thought, all right, well... We all went and got our shots because um, I told Gunny Porter that I wanted combat. And uh, Gunny Porter was like, you want combat? I'm going to put you with a 2nd Marine Division as a field MP. And I was just excited. I mean, I was like, oh, nice. I said, what are you going to be doing? He says, well, you're going to be on top of a Hummer with a 50 cal or a saw. And you're pretty much going to be driving around just doing sweeps, doing perimeter. You're going to be doing all this stuff and probably a lot of combat. And I was pretty excited about that. I thought, hey, that's why you joined. I mean, nobody joins the military to answer phones, right? I mean, that's just not what you do. So anyway, uh, we got the results back for our testing. And they ended up calling us up one day and they said, you hear your name, uh, step over here. And so my name was called. And there was about seven of us out of like my class. And so we stepped aside and, um, you know, I was kind of like, well, what are we stepping aside for? Then he'd let everybody know that we were awarded canine and SRT and two guys, um, Cornell and, uh, I can't remember the other guy's name, but anyway, they ended up getting, um, HMX. And I thought, wow, that is really cool. Like we were the seven out of like all those people that got this. Holy cow. So, um, He told me, he says, well, Wood, you're not going to 2nd Marine Division anymore. Now you're going to be going to Lackland Air Force Base. And uh, that's where they do the canine school. And so a few days later, I was on a, um, it was actually pretty cool. Whenever we left there, we didn't get a bus. It was your own duty to find your way to the airport. And uh, like I said, Missouri is in the middle of freaking nowhere. So 
what we ended up doing is um, a couple of guys in a class ahead of us had gave us a heads up about renting a limousine. They said a limo, um, they charge you by the hour instead of the miles. So it's actually cheaper to rent a freaking limo and to, you know, get a ride to the airport in St. Louis, Missouri. And I thought, wow, that's pretty crazy. So, and a limo can fit a lot more people. So you divide the rate out. And so we, uh, there was about five or six of us and, uh, there was a, a guy named Mallory and, uh, a few other, I, I can't really remember all the names. I think it was a Kretz. There was a, quite a few of us, and uh, and if you're if you're listening to this and you rode with me in the limo, I'm sorry, I'm just not very good with memory and, and uh, names. But uh, so we ended up getting this limousine, and it drove us to the airport. Well, along the way, our limo driver was just like, "Guys, I am so sorry. I ate something last night, and I have to stop and take a crap like every 20 miles." And it was fine with us, whatever. So we end up getting there. And, uh, the limo guy, he even gave us a pretty good discount because we were so cool with him and his bathroom breaks and, and uh, it was pretty funny, but we, so we end up getting to the, to the airport and we fly out and, um, and I end up getting to, um, Lackland. And so while we're there at Lackland, um, you know, we're doing our canine school and, um, so whenever, so we end up getting there to Lackland Air Force Base and, um, so we do our, our schooling there, you know, and it was several months and, uh, it was really, really, really nice, you know, and, um, it, in our school, it wasn't just Marines in that school. We were, we had, uh, three army guys. We had three Navy guys. We had, um, two or three air force guys. And then there was two Marines, me and a guy named Burns, uh, Ian Burns. And so we were, you know, that was our class. Well, we ended up doing, you know, our class and, and then you had to put in for a new duty station again. And it was like, oh, all right. And so I put in for overseas, number one again, West Coast, number two, East Coast, number three. Well, so I get my orders and I'm going to Okinawa, Japan. And I'm thinking, what? Like, this is not Iraq. This is Okinawa, Japan. Like, we already fought the Japanese a long time ago. What are we going to be doing there? And... So I was, I was told by my instructor, Hey, you know, that's not a bad duty station. Uh, I was stationed there my first one. And, uh, and he says, you know, and, and, and it's a force in readiness. So you guys probably will deploy quite a bit cause you're very close to, you know, areas that might need you. And I thought, Oh, that's cool. Nice. So we show up to, to, uh, Okinawa, Japan. And, um, and I'll, I'll get into some of this a little bit later because this is where, you know, the whole prepping kind of thing started really taking on for me because when I first got there, everybody told me, they said, all right, you guys need to get your food storage. You know, you need to get some emergency food, some emergency water and have it put in your uh, room because, um, every year or so they have typhoons and a typhoon is a real bad storm. I mean, it's, it's really bad. It's ripping trees down, moving cars, um, I'm sure if you had a crappy building, it would rip it apart. Well, every building in Japan there in, in Okinawa was, uh, pretty concrete. I mean, it was, you know, everything was really bricked up and concreted and pretty heavy duty built really. And there's no, you know, stick built homes there. And, and, uh, so I thought, oh, this is pretty serious, you know, these storms. And so, you know, I thought, well, all right, you know, these guys are telling me, you know, get your food stuff ready. And I thought, well, you know, we're in the military. They're going to take care of you, right? <laughs> Wrong. So you thought, all right, well, I'll just go and get me some tuna fish. You know, I mean, I'm a man. I can eat a can of tuna fish, you know, whatever. It's, it's cheap. It's easy. It takes up no room. And so I went and bought like two cases of tuna fish. So I put those in my wall locker and, uh, you know, and they kept saying, oh, the water might not be drinkable. You know, if a, if a sewer line gets busted or an earthquake type thing, you know, and and I thought, well, all right, whatever, just to shut them up, I'll get me, you know, these two big five gallon, uh, water jug things. And so I, you know, I had 10 gallons of water in my locker and I thought, Hey, that's plenty. I mean, I'm set tuna fish and water. I mean, I'm set, right. That sounds delicious. And so, uh, so being a dumbass, you know, that's all I put in there. Well, this one day, um, you know, and, and I'll, and I'll get into this a little bit more in depth later on whenever I'm getting into the food storage part, but Long story short, typhoon hit and I lived one mile away and 
we couldn't drive because as a non-NCO, we were not allowed to drive. I was an E3, a Lance Corporal at the time. And I lived in Yonanasan on Camp Foster. And so I, we were on top of a hill. Well, about a mile down the hill and to your left was a, um, a commissary, like a grocery store on base. And I thought, hey, I'm going to run to the commissary really quick and get me some more food because, hey, tuna fish and water. That just didn't sound good at last minute, right? So I take off down the hill, kind of a jog, and I start jogging down there. And I'm seeing cars left and right just, you know, going in there. It looks like Black Friday times 10. So I get there, and there's people in the, in the parking lot, like fist fighting, trying to rip water out of each other's trunks. I was like, holy crap, you know, look at this. And so I go inside the store and there was nothing. I mean, there was, you couldn't buy a snicker bar at the register. It, you know, all the beer coolers had uh, chains through the door handles because alcohol sales are illegal during the time of typhoon conditions. And so I'm looking around going, whoa, there is nothing to buy. I mean, I found a can of dented corn on the ground and I thought, man, I grabbed it and I ended up looking up at the, at the line, you know, I mean, you're not going to stand in a black Friday type line for a can of corn, you know? (laughs) And so I, I walked on my way out. I threw the can of corn into somebody's shopping cart, you know, like, here, there you go. There's another can of something for you. And I pretty much walked back home to my, uh, my, my barracks room. And I thought, oh, you know what? At the top of the hill, there is another little shopette, like a mini uh, convenience store, pretty much. And I thought, hey, I'll run in there and I'll just grab a bunch of junk food. You know, I can mix chips with tuna, I can, you know, whatever. Everything was sounding good at that point to mix with tuna fish. So I go running up the hill and I get up there. I mean, I'm wore out. That's a pretty big hill. And if any of you guys have ever been to Kemp Foster and, and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> the store was black. The lights were out. And the doors were locked and there was a closed sign and the shelves in there were empty. And we're talking, this is about 40 minutes into a typhoon warning. And it really was like, okay, I really screwed up. You know, I should have had more food. I should have had a bigger variety, something that tasted good. So I went back to my room and by then we were in typhoon condition two and um, shortly after we went into typhoon condition one, which is, uh, the, the typhoon is hitting you. And we were in that barracks for like about two weeks. And you know, the, the military, they pretty much brought us a, they call it a water bowl. And it's just like a big water tank on the back of a Hummer and like a little trailer. And they brought it up, parked it, chalked the wheels and left. And they left us this like water tank probably like 500 gallons of water outside. And, uh, but to go outside, I mean, you had to put on like your, your Kevlar helmet, your bulletproof vest. You had to wear, um, you know, goggles. I mean, there was debris flying everywhere. So to go out there and get some water, I mean, that was a pretty big ordeal. And, uh, you know, and I'm sitting there in my room with my cans of tuna fish, you know, and you know, luckily we had power for about the first week and, you know, it was miserable. And I thought, holy crap, this is terrible. Well, little to, you know, to, to say I learned, <laughs> I learned a little bit about uh, real food storage. You know, if it, you know, you buy it because it's cheap or you buy it because it's easy, um, you know, don't do that. Buy, buy the things that, that you would eat, you know, the things that you want to eat that you would eat, you know, save, save that kind of stuff, you know, save the tuna fish for cats or whatever. But so, um, long story short with all this, you know, like I said, I'll go back in a, in another uh, podcast later on. This is mostly just an intro so you can kind of get a grasp on me and, and, uh, my background. Well, um, from Japan, you know, after my year was up, um, I ended up, um, going home and getting married. I was engaged the whole time. And, um, and, uh, so I went home and got married and uh, I put in for my duty station, California. I thought, hey, you know, that's a good place to, you know, to, to go is uh, California. You know, warm, good weather. And also Camp Pendleton um, was one of the 
biggest kennels in the Marine Corps, and I figured those guys would deploy quite a bit. And so um, we ended up moving to California, living on base in Camp Pendleton. And, um, well, I, I ended up getting my dog. And, in fact, it was kind of a kind of a bummer time living there. Um, my little brother, Derek, he, him and his wife, Janelle, they ended up um, getting married. And I wasn't even able to leave to go and see my brother's wedding because um, – just stupid rules that they had, you know, like I, I had to be certified with my dog who I just barely got not too long after. And, uh, you know, certification wasn't in the near future for that. So, you know, I ended up missing, um, my brother's wedding, which kind of bothered me, you know, it's a pretty important thing. And, um, so then my first, um, my first child was going to be born. Uh, his name was Cameron and, you know, and I was, I was finally getting these orders to go to Iraq with my dog, my bomb dog. His name was Fax, F-F-A-X. And I was really stoked, man. I was like, hey, this is great. You know, we're, we're going to end up going to Iraq. But at the same time, it was another bummer because my kid was going to be born while I was gone. You know, your first kid. And, you know, it's like, ah, all right. And so I was pretty, pretty kind of bummed out about that. Well, um, a, a friend in the military, his name was, uh, <laughs> I can't even remember the order of his stinking name, but it was, uh, Matthew, I, I think it was Francisco Luyando. So we always just called him Wanda and he's an awesome guy. Um, well, his name's Matt. So Matthew Francisco Luyando. He's an awesome dude. He ended up taking my dog. And I took his dog, which was a narcotics dog named Jerry. And uh, Jerry was a dynamite dog. I mean, he was phenomenal. Um, called him the little Yeti. He was just a little beast. And, um, you know, he, he actually went into the kennel master, uh, Staff Sergeant Massey at the time. And he said, hey, you know, can I take his dog and his deployment so he can stay? And, you know, he called me in and he said, you know, here, Wood, I'm going to let you go ahead and, and swap with Wanda here. Um you know, whenever, whenever he gets back, you guys are switching dogs back and you're going right back. And I said, that's perfect. I mean, I've been waiting for this for a couple of years at this point, you know? And so, um, while I was waiting, you know, I'd picked up the rank of corporal and uh, Sergeant was just coming around the corner. And, uh, so my kennel master ended up telling me, Hey, you know what, Wood, you're an NCO now. I'm going to train you on how to do the narcotics. And so took me in into the safe that was kept in the armory and um, he ended up instructing me on how to weigh the drugs properly and how you know the heat from training can affect the the moisture and the content and drop the weight and so you know there's tolerances you have to hold so if you know you're ever you know off your tolerances you know you have to sit there with these drugs and wait for them to absorb humidity really you know so that they can go back in well so it was kind of a pain in the ass and so my kennel master ended up putting me in charge of the narcotics section. And, um, so we did that, you know, I was doing some trainings, proficiencies and um, things like that. And I had, you know, several Marines under me and, uh, it was, it was kind of nice, you know, but at the same time I was kind of like, all right, well, when Wanda gets back, I'm done with this pain in the butt job, you know, of weighing drugs and doing all these trainings and stuff, you know, I'll be finally getting to go to Iraq. Well, whenever Wanda came back, my kennel master told me, he says, Wood, it's been nice not having to do this narcotics crap. You're stuck with it. <laughs> I was just like, I was kind of crushed, but I was also kind of like, well, all right. You know, I mean, it's kind of nice to be told, Hey, you're doing a good enough job that you're going to be a permanent part of this job. But at the same time, it was kind of like, well, crap, you know, i I really wanted to do at least a deployment go over and uh, that's kind of the whole reason I joined. So I ended up uh, just doing that. Well, I, I ended up getting hurt really bad. We were doing quite a bit of training, running up and down fire breaks, which are uh, pretty much tilled up sandy earth. It's, uh, California has a lot of wildfires and things. So along our fence perimeters, they would till up this earth and it was really soft. 
and uh, we were doing a lot of running up these hills in uniform. And uh, one day I ended up stepping in a gopher hole of some kind, or a, either a void or something in the in the ground, and ended up tearing all the tendons in my right leg, and uh, had to go in and get some surgery done on that. And uh, so they ended up, you know, doing it was uh, called a bostrum and where they reattach all your tendons to your ankle. And, uh, it was quite a, quite a pain in the butt, you know, quite an ordeal to, to learn how to walk again with your toes. They kept wanting to point straight up. So you had to do a lot of stretching, a lot of rehab on that. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was one of those deals. Well, I ended up getting out of the Marines, um, in 2006, I did my four years, uh, honorable discharge, um, got out and thought, well, what do you do now? You know, and, uh, my wife was pregnant with our second, which actually was our fourth kid because whenever I married her, um, she had two little kids with her already, uh, Michael and Kelsey and phenomenal kids, super smart, great kids. And so I'm walking out of there healing up from a hernia surgery, a <laughs> ankle reattachment surgery. And, um, pretty much nothing. I mean, we walked out of uh, the Marine Corps with the shirts on our back, pretty much. I mean, we didn't have piles of money saved up. We didn't get any great big bonuses or anything. You know, I mean, you could qualify for welfare while you're a sergeant in the military. Um, it's pretty sad, really. And uh, so whenever I got out, um, then we ended up going back home to Price, Utah, and we stayed with my parents in East Carbon for a few months. My dad was real big on, hey, you need a vacation. You know, you just got done working these long hours in this real stressful, uh, strict environment. You need to unwind. Just, you know, take some time off. And uh, and I, it drove me crazy. I, it was the hardest thing to, to try and unwind and try to sit around, you know. And it was just driving me nuts. Well, um. So long story short, we ended up, um, I signed up for college. I thought, well, all right, I'm not very book smart savvy, you know, as far as, um, I don't want to go in there and become some kind of a professor or a English major or any of that kind of crap, you know, that's just not up my, my alley. But, um, so I, I thought, well, I'm more of like a trade type person. Like what could I do to work with my hands, to learn a skill, uh, uh, uh you know, type of trade. So welding and, uh, our, our welding program was one of the best in the nation. Uh, actually we'd taken in, in skills USA's and, uh, several other competitions throughout the nation. Um, the college of Eastern Utah in price has taken first or second place in the last like seven, eight years in a row. And so our instructors are really, really good. And so I thought, well, that sounds something that I wouldn't mind getting into with welding. And so I did, I, I ended up uh, doing uh, college welding and uh well and i was working at a company called joy where i'm still at um, we build coal mining equipment the the area that i'm in is uh you know big coal mining town um, tons and tons of coal around here and so you know it's pretty pretty good industry to be in uh, it's not a not a terrible nightmare substance like everybody in california is you know ignorant and they don't understand what it is and um so anyway i I, I got a job there and I was working graveyards, um, but they, they had to alter my shift for my schooling. So I would go into work at 10 o'clock at night and then I would sweep floors because that's about the only thing I was qualified to do after the military, you know, is, uh, you know, I mean, I can't train a dog for them. So, so I was starting off at the bottom, um, had four kids and a, and a house and, uh, you know, was, was pretty much working my butt off to to get an education to better myself and better my family. And so I ended up um, working from 10 o'clock at night until seven in the morning. And then my first class started at 7.30 in the morning. And so then I would work um, at, at the college doing my uh, welding plates. And, you know, in a welding degree, I got a two-year associates in the applied sciences of welding. It's not just like shop time. I mean, you're not in there just working. I mean, there's a lot of book work involved in it because it is an actual degree. And then, uh, you know, I had to do um, small business classes. I had to do um, English, math. And I hadn't had a math class in 13 years at that point. 
And here I am doing college, college algebra because I did not want to go through all the placement classes that they told me I needed, um, uh, you know, up until I got to that. I mean, I hated math as it was. And so I thought, I'm just going to take this class and I'm going to just work so hard to pass it. And one time, one, you know, done. And so I did. And I couldn't believe it. And, and um, so anyway, I ended up getting my degree. And eventually, through joy, I, I worked my way up until now I'm a welder fabricator and have been for quite a few years now. And, um, you know, and then I, I ended up uh, getting a divorce um, pretty much right after uh, my second uh, child. So my fourth kid that I was raising at the time um, ended up getting a divorce. And, um, you know, she kind of went up north to the northern part. And, and I kind of did my own thing for a while and just worked and uh, just tried to pay everything off. Well, um, so I, I guess I'm kind of rambling, going on to a kind of a boring part of my life, I guess. But um, so I just kept working and working. And then shortly after, um, I ended up starting a business selling uh, weightlifting supplements. I've always been really big into fitness and, and working out. And um so I started a company called uh, Fitness Center LLC, and we sell protein, vitamins, and supplements like that. And uh, I'm not really trying to plug my my store on here because one, I don't have a website. Uh, they're so saturated, it doesn't do good. And I'm just a little store; it's just a hobby. And so, um, but it's it's a good thing, and that'll be part of one of my other lessons too. Is uh, one of my other podcasts will be multiple jobs and uh, fallbacks, but. Anyway, so we started uh, this store, and I got remarried to my wife, and she is uh, from Vietnam. And we actually were just good friends on the internet for about three years. And uh, we met and just talked. I mean, you know, she just wanted to get better at her English and uh, learn a little bit about our culture. And, and I ne honestly never even thought I would meet her. Um, I just thought, hey, this is cool. This is a good girl that's wanting to, uh, improve herself and meet some friends. And so we did, we just talked for about three years and eventually, um, you know, we kind of got some feelings for each other. And so we started talking about that a little bit and, and, uh, thought, well, you know, we've, we've known each other, you know, through, we've been really open. And, uh, so it was kind of a leap of faith for both of us. Uh, both of our, our families were way against it and, and not really supportive very much. And so, uh, we ended up, I flew over there to Japan or to uh, my bad. I'm sorry. We flew over there to, um, Vietnam and I ended up getting married and it took us a solid year before she could even come back over here. And now it's funny cause you look at these Syrian refugees that were just letting them come right into our country who they're all a bunch of, you know, unknowns. I mean, there's some of them are probably real refugees really trying to escape. And some of them are uh, probably a sleeper cell terrorist piece of crap. So, you know, but the process for bringing them over was nowhere near as, as stringent or tough as uh, the process for me to bring my lawful wife over to the country. So yeah, our government, that's, that's another thing that we'll be speaking about on this podcast in future episodes. But um, and so that's pretty much kind of brings you up to, uh, where I am now. I mean, I've been, um, kind of getting my skills honed, um, for a few years, uh, as far as like camping, backpacking, we do a lot of backpacking, um, used to, I, I haven't done any for a little while now I need to, but the things that we've gone through and learned, um, just throughout my life, I thought, you know, I, I would be okay if, if crap went down, shit hit the fan type thing. But I started to notice this trend of these people that were friends of mine or family or anybody that, you know, the first thing out of their mouth is, wow, if something goes down, I'm coming to your house. And I'm sure that if you're a prepper, you found this um, the podcast through searching. Um, and so, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about when people say, you know, Hey, I'm going to come to your house. And it's like, no, you're not going to come to my house. I'm not opening up a soup kitchen for every low life in the neighborhood. I'm not saying my friends and families are low lives, but 
you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not going to just open my doors and be like, Hey, I've been the crazy one for years. Um, stocking up cans of soup and rotating my stock and, you know, buying, you know, thousands of dollars worth of, you know, cold weather gear, um, spare hat, spare socks, spare sleeping bags, um, tents, um, you know, loading up ammunition, keeping a huge stockpile of, of guns and ammunition, um, food and water, you know, first aid equipment. It's, it's like, I'm not going to just say, sure, come on in and have it all. You know, when you the whole time saw me doing this and thought that I was one of the crazies, you know, oh, look at this crazy guy out here saving all these bullets and, and buying all these guns. Oh man, that's craziness, you know? And, um, one of the things was, is I, I started doing some classes here and I was wanting to do some classes that were, um, like knife skills, knife work, um, shelter building, water purification, bug out bags, um, anything that, you know, that people would, would want to know or need to know. And, um, you know, and, and nobody was coming. I mean, they were a free class. You know, I was offering free classes, free instructional stuff. In fact, it was taking up some of my time that I was going to be doing this, you know, and there was, um, you know, a lot of people out there and all they keep telling you is, Oh, that would be really cool. That'd be good to learn this. That would be so awesome, but they just don't have the time. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you can just Google stuff. If you need to know, you can just look a YouTube video up. Well, in a grid down situation, a shit hits the fan, EMP, whatever, zombies, you name it, whatever the hell is going to happen. Terrorists, uh, you know, anything that's going to happen you're probably not going to have Google, YouTube, Facebook, any of this other crap. You're not going to have any of this stuff. And if you don't have the proper books on, you know, survival type things, and you haven't trained and practiced and become proficient in this, chances are you're going to die. And, you know, I don't mean to be the doomsayer, but you are probably going to die. And also the people that gather up all the stuff and say, well, I'm just going to share with my neighbors and I'm going to share and share and share. And you will. I mean, everybody will have to share. Nobody can be a one man army and protect all of your stuff and your family by yourself. That's just not reality. But you also couldn't, um, you couldn't support a ton of people because every person that comes in on your load is going to is going to reduce my family and my loved ones our rations you're going to drop our medical supplies you're going to drop my usable things down to the point that it's going to affect my family myself and my loved ones and you know i mean the people that are really wanting to just you know help everybody hey, good on you i mean you know there's karma or whatever but you know i mean you still have to look out for number one, which is your family and your loved ones and yourself, you know, and, uh, the people that have been told left and right, Hey, get things ready, you know, learn things, you know, stockpile things. If they're not going to do even half of, you know, what they need to be doing. And I hate to say it guys, but to hell with them. Um, you know, there's just a time and a, and a place for that. And, and, you know, and there will be a lot of people that probably will show up to my house if shit goes down and, and I'm going to be either gone or I'm going to just be telling them, hey, I'm sorry, man. I just don't have stuff for you and your family. I mean, here I have a few things to, you know, spare things that, you know, you have kids with you and stuff and I feel for you. But at the same time, man, I mean, you know, you didn't do anything to help your family. You know, you let them down as yourself. Not, It's not going to be on me. I mean, you know, I'm not out there to, you know, support the whole entire world, but anyway, so hopefully with this podcast, not to bring it off on a bummer, bad note, but hopefully it's a wake up call. And the biggest thing that I want to do with these podcasts is, um, go over subject matters, um, even reviews. I mean, I've got several really awesome pieces of equipment that have been made out there that, I've either found by, you know, thinking, Hey, wouldn't that be cool if there was a stove that ran on any fuel? And what do you know? There is. 
And so like the prime is Omni, Omni fuel and, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's great. And so I bought one and they are expensive, but it will burn on any fuel. Um, then I started looking into water purifications, you know, th all kinds of different gear items and, uh, things. And, you know, even, uh, types of weapons, you know, like the AR 15. I mean, I have five of these things and I'll be honest with you. They're not really the most dependable rifle out there. I mean, they're the most popular by far and everybody sees them and thinks, oh man, it looks so military. It looks, but no, I mean, the specs just aren't there. They shit where they eat. The, the exhaust and the powder burn dumps right in the bolt area. And I mean, if you're shooting that gun out and you, you know, you don't have the proper lubes or it's not clean, you're going to have problems. Um, you know, and I'm seeing a lot of different things. And I mean, and I don't mean to start going into a whole nother tangent. I'm trying to keep these uh, podcasts around an hour, maybe just a hair over. But uh, this will be another one of the podcasts that I go into, you know, and I'll just dedicate time into you know, guns, um, ammunition, things like that. You know, even little tricks and stuff that I've learned. Um, you know, in fact, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I mean, I went out to the shooting range just the other day with my cousins and my uncle and we went out there and I had a Glock 19 that I put in a um, Roni uh, G2 kit. It's a short barreled rifle adapter and we went out to shoot and I was having problems left and right. Um, and one of the things I did was I changed out some of the factory springs on the Glock and my trigger wasn't resetting. And my cousin's like, oh man, this sucks. And I go, yeah, it does. But you know what? This is good training. This is the kind of stuff that's going to happen if shit hits the fan. I mean, if, if you're one of those guys that buys a gun and says, cool, I got a gun. And you throw it in a box and you bury it and you never shoot it. And it's in that box just waiting for, you know, the apocalypse to come. One, you're not going to be accurate with that weapon. You're not going to be proficient. Two, you don't know what kind of problems it might have right from the factory. Um, you know, and, and you might not even like that weapon. You know, you might take that pistol or rifle out and shoot it a few times and say, you know what? It is just not the right length for my arms. It is just not the right, you know, it's heavy or it's, I just don't like the features on it, you know? And there's no shame. If you buy a, a gun and you don't like it, but it's a popular gun, like the XDs. I hate the XD. The XDMs, I, I have not held one in my hand that fits my hand good. And I'm sure that it's a reliable, really good weapon, but I just don't like it. And I didn't like Glock. I hated Glock. If you were to give me a Glock uh, two, three years ago, I would have punched you in the face and told you to take it and, and stuff it up your ass because I didn't like the feel of them. They were boxy, square. Um, they were not ergonomic at all. I mean, they... they just didn't feel good in my hand. And, you know, but these new Gen 3s and Gen 4s, you know, they, they have a lot more options for uh, grip. They have, you know, finger slots. Um, their handle is actually curved quite a bit more, um, you know, and, and I really like them. And they're a really reliable gun. But I switched out trigger springs and everything in there to put a three-pound, you know, the Ghost kit. And it, was, it wasn't a cheap knockoff kit or nothing. It was a Ghost kit. And you know, and the, um, trigger spring, the, or not the trigger spring, my bad, the uh, firing pin spring. Um, if you look at the factory one versus the ghost one, the factory one is just a little bit longer, about an eighth of an inch longer. And it was just that much that it needed to reset my trigger. And so it was just little things like that, you know? And so if you have a weapon, you need to go out and use it. And these are just some of the points that I'll bring up in these um, podcast, you know, and hopefully I didn't bore you guys to death. Um, and hopefully I just, I at least sparked enough interest that you'll listen to a few more of my shows. And, uh, and I'm not asking for any money or anything like that. I mean, I'm just doing this out of the kindness of my heart. I mean, I, I bought a brand new computer to do this with, and I bought a mic and, um, and I've got some of my other gear on the way. And, uh, I'm just trying to, trying to get some word out, hopefully open up an eye or two. And, um, you know, the one thing that I've always been able to do is talk for hours and hours on end. But, you know, uh, if I can at least come across and help one person out there, if I can, if you're the one that I'm reaching to and you say, hey, I, I, I like this guy's 
is thinking and where he's going. And, uh, and like I said, if, if I'm saying something stupid that, you know, that you say, Oh no, man, no, I've done this and this, and, and I like it way better. Hey, well, you know what? Everybody's entitled to their own opinions as well. And the things that work for me may not work for you. I mean, I'm five foot eight. So a guy six foot two, he might really, really like a certain rifle that I hate, you know? And so it's, it's all, it's all what, uh, what fits you, what floats your boat and, uh, you know, and, and go with it. If it works for you, it works for you. If it works for me, it works for me. So there's about a million ways to skin a cat. And, uh, with that, I'll be saying goodbye and, uh, hopefully I'll get my other podcast up and running pretty quick. Um, I, I'm still not even all that sure how to upload these. And so also if you have any information on like better places to, uh, to upload to, or any, uh, maybe better audio programs, I don't know anything that you guys could have as a, uh, hint or tip, I would really appreciate it as well. And, um, so my email address that I just opened up is surviving the modern world at hotmail.com and I don't have a website up yet I don't have a Facebook up yet um, like I said this is just groundbreaking stuff for me and hopefully I uh, sparked your interest and we'll see you down the road a little bit later on and uh, I really appreciate you listening and uh, Semper Fi